For June 25th, 2012, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 208, Bridezilla versus Mothra. To the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From a secure, undisclosed underground location, deep in the bowels of the earth, uh, from the mines of Moria, I'm uh, Matthew Rather here in person we with. Too fast. <laughs> that was Balrog, Balrog David Schechner. Uh, I think Sean Connery doesn't say it either. <laughs> many overthinkers yes. have gathered in one place today. Sorry, there, there are several who are, who are not with us. Uh, to celebrate the, uh, the bachelorhood of one of our number, and I'll allow that person to uh, identify himself or not, uh, but at a great overthinking bachelor party, uh, we're, we're all here and we're all dudes. So unlike usual, this podcast is going to be kind of a sausage fest. <laughs> uh, so uh, in, honor, in honor of our, uh, our great cause, our great celebration here, let's, um, uh, let's ask what is the greatest uh, pop culture presentation of bachelorhood or bachelor parties or the joys of a, uh, of a single man's life? Uh, drink because Fenzel is not first in the alphabet, and drink because it's a bachelor party. <laughs> it's Matt Belinky. Hey guys, I, I am in fact uh, the man of the hour. It's my bachelor party. Uh, thank you very much for coming out. I and I, I have to apologize. I sort of lost my voice doing things which shall remain nameless because there are no words to describe them in the English language. Um, when I was a kid, my model of like what I thought bachelorhood would and should be uh, is from The Shadow. Uh, the, the Alec Baldwin action movie. I miss Alec Baldwin being an action hero, by the way. I want to see the, the further hunt for Red October. Um, but in The Shadow, uh, if you recall, it's, it's a period piece set in the 30s, and he plays this upper-class sort of New York uh, uh, blue blood. It's basically He's basically the great Gatsby. But at the beginning of the movie, through it, it, they make it unclear why, but he has instead of living in New York, he is now a warlord in Mongolia. He's literally like a like a New York intellectual, but he has moved out and he now lives in like a large palace in the middle of a poppy field where he like dines on like chickens surrounded with like, you know, a golden throne. He's like Carl Drogo, but he's like a white dude from like Scarsdale. Um, <laughs> and I definitely remember, and the, the whole, the, 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 what gets the action started at the beginning is like, there's like a Shaolin temple that's like near his like warlord palace. And like one of the monks comes over and is like, could you like keep the noise down at night. We're trying to, like, meditate and develop our telekinetic powers. And he just, like, shoots the guy. And then somehow that, like, winds up with him learning a lot of telekinetic stuff. But just, <laughs> I remember one scene in particular where it's, he's sort of, uh, he's asleep the night after he's killed the guy. And he's sort of summoned out of bed by, like, a telekinetic um, message. And in order to climb out of, like, his large uh, California king-sized warlord bed, he has to literally, like, wade through, like, all these naked women who are just passed out everywhere. He's, like, draped in various layers of naked women, and it's like, he has to disentangle himself from them just to, like, go and, and, and answer the telekinetic summons. So that is, I definitely wanted to... I, wa- I wanted to... Uh, Bachelor, to me, is having the problem of that, like, you have too many women to get out of bed to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next in the alphabet, Peter Fenzel. Hey, so I have I have uh, two thoughts for this one, but I'm going to go with the one that most closely complements the one that Matt just said here, <laughs> which is the Liam Neeson star turn Dark Man, <laughs> where, uh, where Liam Neeson's face is, is a brilliant scientist whose face is horribly burned in a chemical accident that for other reasons give him massive adrenaline powers that allow him to run and jump very fast. And so he, a married man, returns to the bachelor lifestyle, living in a totally cool secret lab apartment where he gets to hang out and do all the science stuff and nobody has to tell him they can't because he can do all the science he wants. And then whenever he goes out of the house... Uh, he gets to put on a synthetic face that whatever one he chooses. Every day he's a different person, and nobody sees the real him, which is really what bachelorhood is all about. Uh, going out there and making sure that you please all the people out there. And then after precisely 99 minutes, I believe the face boils away, and he's no longer like a noted character actor villains uh, who also appear in Dick Tracy, but himself. Uh, yeah, no, um, I would say that like having a sort of layer is kind of key. 
to being a bachelor. I mean, you don't necessarily have to use it to make synthetic skin grafts or to, yeah. to, to nurse your vengeance against evil chemical corporations, but there are, there are bonus points uh, for doing these things. Yeah. Right. <laughs> My favorite thing about Darkman, by the way, is that he can pretend to be anybody he wants who also happens to be six foot four. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which is, you know, it, it's these are the kind of things that you don't really think about too much because in the Bachelor lifestyle, the world accommodates you. Yes. <laughs> He could pretend to be Andrew Jackson, for example. Yes, that's true. <laughs> if you were waifishly thin. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, Mark Lee, next in the alphabet. Okay, when I think of bachelorhood, I think of not being concerned about getting married. I mean, you know, you could argue that, for, certainly. But, um, so, bachelors come to mind in movies for me. Um, well, obviously, Terminators. Uh, them being, you know, uh, what's a, you know, Cybernetic organisms are not so much concerned with the, you know, the state of marriage per se. But um, I'm not going to go the obvious route and go with something. Well, I guess like less obvious, but still pretty obvious. Uh, which is a Jedi Master Yoda. Um, I don't think anywhere in Star Wars canon does Yoda's love life come into play. That's because he's a celibate monk. Sure, yeah. He's a swinging solo dude. He's doing his thing, you know. Tie me down, you cannot. <laughs> Free bird, I must. <laughs> There you go. Thank you, Dave. That's what they teach you at MIT, people. How to do a dead-on Yoda. Josh McNeil is next in the alphabet. Uh, forgive me for going dark here, but I think the, the greatest celebration of bachelorhood may be married with children. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's, that's, it. <laughs> that's bachelorhood from the point of view of, of marriage sucks, right? Like, yes, that, that, that's that was the desperation in uh, Al Bundy's eyes, I think, uh, spoke to me greatest about the joys of bachelorhood. Right. I actually saw like a 14 year old kid wearing a no ma'am t-shirt in near downtown Boston the other day and I was like that's of course the fictional organization in the latter seasons of Married with Children which is like rampantly anti-feminist right it's like that sort of lodge yes uh, and I was wondering whether this kid had a context for you know this shirt or has he watched the show is he just a misogynist or just a chauvinist or is he like appreciate the really deep irony of Al's like self-torment <laughs> You know, it's a fun game to play uh, if you watch Modern Family. My wife and I like to play this game, which is to imagine that, uh, that Ed O'Neill is, is the same character. Because on that show, he's got this ex-wife who's kind of terrible that he hates, and he's got these two kids. One, the blonde, used to be kind of a wild child when she was younger, and the boy, when he was growing up, had a troubled relationship with his sexuality. <laughs> but before we leave the topic of uh, married with children, I uh, should so just uh, uh, inform everyone that No Ma'am, that orga- anti-feminist organization, stood for the National Organization of Men Against Amazonian Masterhood. <laughs> That's spectacular. And, uh, to be clear, we're not supporting it. It's, 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 it's a little tongue-in-cheek in the show. I think it's safe to say. Just, just say no on No Ma'am. Exactly. exactly. The uh, you know, what, married with children was tongue-in-cheek. I know, right? I thought it was normative. <laughs> it's totally sincere. It's, it's a documentary. The events are filmed. In Dave Shackner next in the alphabet. Hello. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Colin Firth's 2009 offering, A Single Man. <laughs> uh, no, that's a, that's a really dark cut. That's a, that's a film about the repression that uh, homosexuals felt during the 50s and 60s to not reveal their sexuality. Okay, uh, instead, I'm going to take a movie that, rather than diegetically celebrating bachelorhood or demonstrating the glories of bachelorhood, will non-diegetically celebrate your bachelorhood. Uh, And I'm going to go with the animated Hobbit movie. (laughs) (laughs) If you are watching this movie, (laughs) congratulations... You are a bachelor. <laughs> where, there's a, where there's a whip, there's a way, now, Dave. Now enjoy. <laughs> yes. Oh, Lord. Jordan Stokes next in the alphabet. So, if I wanted a movie that celebrates bachelorhood, it's the, uh, it's the scene in Hard Day's Night where they go into their apartment where all of the Beatles live together, and they have this catastrophically poorly planned out uh, reading nook in the floor that, like, it opens <laughs> up and there's a little, like, spiral staircase to, a, a, like, a mattress and a pile of books, which, like, you know, clearly someone's going to get drunk and die in that thing, but mm-hmm. who's going to stop them from having it? Because, yeah. <laughs> like, what I think is great about that, though, as sort of the platonic... Hollywood Dream, although I guess it's a British movie, 
of, uh, of bachelorhood is that not only do they have this wonderful apartment that's so impractical and so swinging, but like they live with their bros, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> and they're deeply, deeply tied into their bros. And this contrasts quite sharply with the second movie I'd like to mention, which I think is the most honest depiction of what it's like to be a bachelor, which is Bobby De Niro pouring scotch on his cornflakes in taxi oh. <laughs> entirely alone. Are you talking to me, please? Will you talk to me, please? <laughs> It is a balanced breakfast, right? <laughs> you need five bottles of whiskey and five bottles of that to equal one bowl of total. <laughs> That's a heart-healthy breakfast. <laughs> so when you think of the amount of grain, right, that goes into a single bottle of, yeah. of Jack Daniels, it's an enormous amount of grain, right? I know, yeah, that's true. So it's a breakfast of a single wheat field. Okay. Uh, I guess I guess it's my turn. It, I mean, well, I have more to say about this later. But uh, my favorite uh, celebration of, of bachelorhood is uh, seven. <laughs> oh, good lord! Oh, good lord. <laughs> Who's bachelorhood? <laughs> the uh, the freewheeling lifestyle portrayed by Kevin Spacey. <laughs> <laughs> As contrasted against the, you know, newly tied down Brad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, and, you know, the, the, uh, she represents the obligations of family and of child rearing on account of she's pregnant, and when, spoiler alert, he gets her head in the box at the end, <laughs> it's really a great liberation and a kind of return, and that uh, Brad Pitt and Kevin Spacey now can be kind of brothers, uh, you know? It, it, it was saving Silverman of its day. Right, exactly. <laughs> Kevin Spacey sees Brad Pitt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Saving Silverman with a katana. <laughs> Sorry, I tried to cut you off there, Josh. Oh. No, no, I was just glad he didn't get into the lust sin part of that movie in that section. <laughs> but now you all get to do that in your head. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, I mean, on a, on a sweet note, the one I was going to say I was going to be sweet is the that one shot in Superbad when Jonah Hill is going down the escalator and looks back over his shoulder at his friend because he's going off with the girl for the first time. Yeah. Like, for me, that's one of the more poignant Bachelor moments. That isn't Liam Neeson exacting vengeance on multinational. <laughs> so, there, I mean, like, it's, I mean, it's interesting, right? Like, so Married with Children is like Bachelorhood is set against Married marriage, Superbad actually like transitions between two modes of, of bachelorhood, or I guess between childhood and bachelorhood, right? Well, like, yeah, the well, company, because the company of men is one of the pleasures of, of bachelorhood, right? Like, yeah. at least notionally in, yeah. these, uh, in these things. And then, like, sexual freedom, or like, yeah. you know, being a sort of sexual free agent is one, of the, is one of the things that's, you know, supposed to be desirable about this state. Which is one of the things that makes bachelor parties so weird, because by the time you get around to the bachelor party, like, in this day age we've generally been with somebody for right. a while like yeah it's not this is not this is not the the era where like you know you meet you lift the you lift the the veil <laughs> on the bride and only yeah. then do you learn who it is yeah. <laughs> yeah, like like matt in a couple of weeks you're gonna get to see a shoulder yeah. <laughs> what is maybe, that like? I mean, maybe an ankle if yeah. you're lucky you know what I mean I suppose for the five-year anniversary maybe I get like you know like a, a calf yeah, you fu- you cut a hole in the sheet finally at the five year anniversary. Probably. <laughs> to see the calf. <laughs> but then, like, well, then what does so if you've left the sort of super swingingness behind a little while ago? By the time you're really promising yourself to somebody, then then why do we do bachelor parties when we do them? Is that would a really successful bachelor party talk the guy out of the wedding? Is it one last chance <laughs> to like? Is the idea that you want to make as strong a pitch as possible that you should not get married? Because then if the guy still goes through with it, you're sure that he's ready to get married. Mm-hmm. But like you want the girl is basically empowering all the guy's friends to test him on her behalf, <laughs> right? That's the, to tempt him as hard as they can with wow. tremendous hubris. Like you know, yes. bring your worst, man. Yes, <laughs> you know, bring me. your worst it's, because it's, I want to know. Like she will be Bane in the plot with, in, in, in the comic book plot in which Batman's back was eventually broken. Right, like all the okay, other supervillains are hired to like slowly wither Batman down to a pulp. <laughs> Only when he is at his weakest, hasn't slept in like three weeks, and yeah. is physically distraught, uh, can Bane swoop in and, and, and break his back and make him hold his purse for well, a You've, you've put us on the side of the bride. 
Yeah, we were suggesting that in fact it was it was a sort of a, no. There's an adversarial relationship. A, there's kind of a gauntlet thrown down between like, the yeah. yeah, but like a gentleman's agreement gauntlet thrown down, right? It's like, yeah, to, to the victor go the spoils. Exactly. <laughs> we're we're going to be very very adult. Well, sort of the same way that like you know before you get married in a lot of places you have to go through like marriage counseling and meet with like a religious authority or something just to make sure that emotionally you know what you're getting yourself into and you are you are prepared for it. And maybe the bachelor party is part of that is to see that like you know. If, it, if you're like, wow, I'm really sorry I'm not going to get to do that ever again, uh, then maybe maybe it's not too late to reconsider. Well, well, I, wanna... I, I thought that, like, you know, bringing up the marriage counselor, I thought we weren't going to talk about the things we actually did. At oh, house. sorry. <laughs> that was some crazy... What, what, what happens in marriage counseling? Yeah, Stacey, yeah, we have overthinking at counseling that we, that we all went to together because with, you know, Belinky being plucked out of our... Uh, our circle and being civilized, right? Like being civilized by the presence of a woman, uh, you know, it's really gonna it's really gonna affect our relationship. You know what I mean? And I'm just worried you won't have time for me anymore. You know, <laughs> time to cut montages of uh, you know movie scenes together. Forty inspirational oh, toast stubbings. <laughs> Uh, a slightly more positive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like in, in the modern era, because the bachelor party happens after generally you've been with somebody for years, um, or at least amongst uh, this peer group. Um, it's almost sort of uh, it's almost sort of the other thing. It's like saying, "See, I will still let you go do this every once in a while." <laughs> yeah. It's like that's sort of it's sort of like a reminder that like you're not sort of completely like abandoning your old life, it's right? Like, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, that our stereotypes, our marriages don't in fact conform to this like old fashioned misogynistic stereotype of of yeah. you know the the henpecked unable yeah. to yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, at, three years ago at my bachelor party, my wife, my wife, uh, then my fiance, gave myself and repeated. To all of you, the directive that we could do uh, a- anything that we wanted, provided that at no point in the evening did I reach sexual climax. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now, three no years time. later, with a newborn child, she notably did not give me the same directive. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I may, we can't talk about it, I may or may not have squandered a massive opportunity. <laughs> well, maybe one of the other factors is that, you know, this is something that we, that the, if we were celebrating something that we were losing or, you know, moving on from in a more positive way just now, or something that isn't even really changing all that much, then the, the ritual around it might be, feel a little bit different. Maybe it's that, the celebration itself is nostalgic for like an idealized time that's already projected backward, right? Like, in fact, no, I don't think we've ever really. I mean, I've gone to a bunch of different kinds of bachelor parties, but none of them really represent what any of us like actually did. Yeah, you know, yeah. like so. Well, because um, the idea is to do something that you don't. You're, it's bigger than you normally do. Right, 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 right. right. This, is, this is the whole theory of the, the rite of passage, right? Is that like a, a liminal transition is a point where like you're pulled out of the context that you're comfortable with. And, and you cannot actually be exposed to the new context in which you'll be thrust. And so you're, you're by necessity, uh, put into this sort of like nether space where things happen that, that are completely unusual, that are totally alien to anything that you normally do. It's so like the bachelor party makes sense in that, in, in that regard. You know, you sh- it should be this sort of weird environment where symbols have kind of inverted meanings and you're exposed to sort of ideas and, 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 um, and experiences that wouldn't really be normal either to your prior or to your future life. Uh, and it sort of you know, causes you to, to call into question a lot of the things that, that you think you understand. Right, right. Um, and I know like, you know, if I'm at a lot of the typical bachelor party type experiences, casinos, trip clubs, whatnot, I'm often quite confused. So, so I think it you know, can be emotionally confused. And so are the dealers and or strippers. Yeah, yeah. Like, if I try and stuff a chip into the dealer's bra strap, it really doesn't... Yeah. It depends how large a chip. <laughs> it's a man's ear, Dave. It's a man's ear. <laughs> Pete, you made it work either way. We do our best. Should we not throw bachelor parties at the beginning of one's bachelorhood? <laughs> right? Like, 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 is that, is that birth? The no, that's a baby shower. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was college, can... wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing about the bachelor party is that, like, it is this sort of idealized version of what it was like to be a swinging bachelor, except that, especially for the person whose bachelor party it is, um, it's a very different experience because all of the pressure that one feels as a bachelor is gone, mm-hmm. right? Like, you, you are right. engaged. You no longer have to do these sort of 
uh, teleological thing that the the swinging bro does, which is find somebody to get with. Yes. So if you go out to a also, crazy, you don't have to pay the stripper twenty five dollars. Your friends will uh, pay the stripper. Ah, counselor. So like you go out, you go out to the nightclub, right? And like you're you're pounding down the shots. And I remember going out and doing that and thinking like, you know, this is a horrible experience. You know, like, I, I don't know any of these people here. Yeah. Like, if I go up and talk to them, they're going to judge me, right? And, like, and like all of my drinks are expensive, and all of my friends seem to be better at this than I am, and, like, it's allowed, and I, like, I don't know most of the people here. So then, like, you go and you do the bachelor party, and you're with all of your friends. Mm-hmm. And because, like, you, you know, any any lady you talk to, whether it's a bartender or a marriage counselor or what, like, you, you have a fiancé you're going home to, so you don't need to try to charm them, which actually makes talking to them superlatively easy. Mm. Um, and like, and you're not paying for your drinks. So basically, what the bachelor party is is like you're playing Final Fantasy, right? <laughs> <laughs> and fight, you fight have yeah. gotten to the point where you're going to go fight the last boss, but you take a trip through Corneria Environs and <laughs> run into a party of gray imps, yeah. and just like <laughs> unleash holy hell on them. <laughs> it's, 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 it's the god mode of bachelorhood, is what it is, because like right. <laughs> you've already beat the game, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it allows you to keep playing. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So if you do that for like two thousand more years, then the world is a dystopic wasteland. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Mm-hmm. The, I, yeah, I mean, like, there's there's the idea that like, given their given your druthers, right? You would you would sort of rage and rampage, and like the. the what the ideal bachelor party in movies recently is like the hangover which has elements of like criminality mm-hmm. and you know uh, uh all I mean all kinds of all kinds of debauchery horrible self mutilation right body yeah. modification yeah. Mike Tyson yeah. uh, Zach Galifianakis in a beard yeah. you know what I mean which is like like a symbol of what like uber masculinity you know I mean, we still had Down Easter Alexa at some point. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, that's the kind of crazy hellscape you would be, <laughs> you'd be listening to the Stormfront album. <laughs> this, is, this is another possibility of what the Bachelor Party is supposed to do, is like, you make it a weekend so debauched that the Bachelor comes out of it and is like, never again in my life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the, uh, right, that's the, it's actually the Bachelor Party in service of civilization. It's like your mother catching you smoking or something yeah. and being like, or no, drinking now you would be better. Hear- all yeah. the skanks in this whole state. <laughs> it's the, it's the, the contrapasso, right? <laughs> so you like eating fried food, do you? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. We don't want to go back to seven. We don't want to go back to seven. <laughs> You're Watch in the club. Watch in the club. <laughs> I like that in year seven, it's Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> oh, But in that sense, I think it's, I mean, there's two things there, right? Which is that I'm always a little, I I feel the same way about casinos, I think, in general, as I do about, like, this sort of transformative bachelor party experience, which is like, well, what sort of crazy, crazy things can you actually do? Right, I mean, like maybe. Right, this is the, yeah. This is the kind of the, the kind of double thinking that Las Vegas is predicated on. Yeah, right? yeah, you yeah, know yeah, what yeah. I mean. Like in a casino, it's in fact very highly regulated, surveilled. Yeah. Right, and there's like this sort of uh, security guard yeah. thing a presence all around exactly. you. You know what I mean? It's like you're actually not going to get into that much trouble. Yeah. I mean, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas because transporting the tigers is expensive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. They would never survive in the open. Desert. No, you can't put them out. <laughs> they can't escape. <laughs> exactly. So, like, you know, so there's that whole side of it. There's also the side of, like, uh, I mean, I don't, I mean, we joked about it a little bit, and I'm, of course, probably the farthest away from, from marriage of any of the folks here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, there doesn't really, I mean, do you feel, those of you who've had bachelor parties, like a loss of freedom associated with the bachelor party experience? No. 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 Yeah. Mostly, mostly nostalgia. Might have been the yeah. particular one that I did, but, like, nostalgia was the main emotion of that night. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. fullness. Your bachelor party was epic in a very non-classic way. Right, like and, just <laughs> like an epic amount of pork. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
that was it was like it was kind of a challenge. You know what I mean? We set ourselves this task yeah. to I failed the, at that challenge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, so at Stokes' bachelor party, they gave us like an entire roast pig, and what I remember most vividly about it is they also gave us a box of gloves, uh-huh. <laughs> literally, literally like rubber gloves, so you could wear as you sort of dug into its carcass to like rip out the meatiest parts. <laughs> like it was like a CSI. Wait, style we're not talking about seven anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Watch in the pan. Watch in the pan. I mean, I, I obviously, Christmas. we were all doing this rather than doing that. But the pertinent current thing is that you know, Brave came out this weekend, which has a very different. <laughs> Go on, segue. Which is also which is also about points of transition that people are making when they get married, and about the the idea that marriage is a loss of freedom, right? And like, mm-hmm. and of course, like, there's a huge difference, which is that she doesn't get to choose, and it's the medieval, you know, women are property. For women, stuff. until really like the last few decades, it's that was true. Well, of course, yeah. I'm not saying yeah. it wasn't. Um, you know, it, it's about returning marriage to its traditional values. <laughs> <laughs> Namely, real estate values. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like magic and bears. <laughs> Which is actually the way ma- marriage is for me. Like, uh, my wife is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me have a bear. <laughs> I just think it's an interesting story to sort of like, on the weekend that Brave checked out, just, even though we didn't get to see it. And if you did see it, tell us what you thought about it in the comments. Let's get a lively discussion going. You know, is that like, you know, we don't have that kind of same analogous fear, right? Of like, I mean, are there, can you guys think of pop culture properties where like the man is going to get married and and he's like afraid of losing his freedom, like in a sort of sincere way that isn't sort of a total Al Bundyish joke. Uh, sideways, right? Oh, interesting. Isn't that, I've actually never seen Sideways, but that, aren't they on their basically bachelor party, like before one of them gets married? Yeah, before Thomas Hayden Church gets married, and he yeah. goes off and has a has a like a liaison with Sandra O. Oh. Right. You know, up in you know California's Central Coast wine country, yeah, and then and then what, uh, actually sort of not just uh, but this is like a full on kind of affair, and she's into him, and that's why she you know she's so hurt when he reveals that in fact he is getting married, right? Yeah, we well, just kind of put the the groom in the like in harm's way, like we increase the temptation, like like. <laughs> By doing it two weeks before, like the chances of the groom showing up with chlamydia to the wedding are much higher than they would be without the bachelor party. <laughs> chlamydia was the name of our therapist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's asymptomatic, so You know what's an interesting movie about? About the tension, uh, the loss of freedom. Did anyone else see I Love You, Man? With oh, yeah, yeah. And Jason Siegel, yeah. and the whole point of that is he's a he's a guy who sort of implausibly does not have any male friends, and he becomes uncomfortable with this because he's supposed to have a best man, and he actually sort of like goes out and seeks a male friend and becomes actually very good friends with Jason Siegel, who's a little bit more schlubby and a little bit less mature than him. But they they do things like you know they just like thrash on guitars in their garages and they you know they watch manly movies. And towards the end of the movie, there becomes this tension where you know he needs to choose or maybe he needs to choose between his new like you know man friend who's kind of letting him indulge his bachelor side in a way that he was not doing before he met this guy, and then like his new wife. Um, and there is, and then, and then they, they sort of, they sort of resolve it by, you know, allowing the, the wife seems a little tolerant of that, but it's actually, I mean, it ends on this weird note where it seems like he has way more of a connection with the, with the man than yeah. with the woman he's married. Even at the actual marriage ceremony, it seems way more important to him that Jason Siegel shows up and stands next to him than that he married the woman that he was engaged to. It's kind of the reverse sisterhood of the traveling pants, right? <laughs> where you know, where for the for the for the young ladies, in <laughs> the traveling pants actually right. move ever. <laughs> <laughs> Continue. <laughs> How was it like the reverse sisterhood? In the I want to hear this one. It's like Blake Lively decides Take not off. to sleep with her soccer instructor. No, you know what? It's, it's a pair of pants that don't fit anybody. <laughs> they stay perfectly stationary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's the the brotherhood of the stationary pants. Right. No, um, it's it's that. Uh, I mean, in in that film, you get the sense that the relationship among the young women is is the paramount relationship, and that whatever liaisons they sort of form with men, 
uh, right are kind of se- are secondary to that. Like the important thing is that we're all friends. The important thing is that we all kind of remain connected to one another and to our traveling pants, right? Yes. And that and that like, but and, and that this is seen as actually a good and a sort of very healthy. Uh, healthy things, sisters before misters, or you know what I mean, something, something like that. But like, so much more respectful than our version. <laughs> when yeah, uh, they have a better writing department these days. Yeah. <laughs> but when you know, but when in movies when men do it, it's seen as a kind of like a, a state of arrested, arrested development, right? Or like, and like a, potentially a dangerous thing. Yeah, yeah. like it threatens like, the marriage. Like, oh, you know, I see. Yeah, and the I mean, society is on the side of the marriage because the marriage is necessary for the perpetuation of of society. Right, so, also yeah. for the uh, the avoidance of icky icky gains. Yeah. right, right. But also, like, this is an Apatow thing, right? Like, if you yeah. think about Knocked Up, there's like the bros, and they're hanging out together, and they're talking about like very immature bro stuff, and you have to leave those guys behind yeah. to move into a, a heterosexual relationship with a lady. Yeah, I mean, you need an apartment full of IKEA furniture to really be a man. Is kind of the message of that. In in uh, and I love you, man. Though I think like sort of the meta commentary is that like the woman he's getting the woman he's getting married to. Uh, even though he might not have like as a sensible connection with her as he does with Jason Siegel, the woman's Rashida Jones, yeah, and she's just so cool that it's assumed that everything's going to be fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. but generally everything is fine. Anyway, go ahead, Jordan. Sorry. No, no, I mean, yeah, like that she actually urges him to find this guy, and like it gets yeah. a little bit too intense. But the the fantasy that's uh, proposed at the end of "I Love You, Man" is that like you have the the tolerant sexual outlet and like the the marriage, and then the unfettered emotional uh, communion with your bro, and like everything is sort of squared away. Um, which is, I mean, I don't know. There, there are versions of that going back to singing in the rain. But, sure. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's funny about I love speaking, you. Man, speaking yeah. of the icky icky gayness, yeah, right? Uh, and, <laughs> and singing in the rain. It's actually something we haven't brought up yet, but it actually it belongs. The icky icky gayness belongs in this conversation, right? Because now you can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like a double reverse. My least favorite professional wrestler. <laughs> I thought he was pretty good. They had that story arc. He was okay. He was all right. Gold dust. <laughs> gold dust. <laughs> so tell me, why does the icky icky game? <laughs> I need to be involved in this. Well, it's, I, you know what I mean. It's like it's like the. the what, what what I think what Jordan is saying is that like the the idea the fantasy at the end is that you can kind of decouple aspects of a of a sort of whole relationship of a kind of gestalt relationship and like this aspect the aspect of like communion or of uh, emotional support or of like shared experience or something like that can go with the can go with your bros right and I mean this this word bromance is you know. Mm-hmm. Come into the culture recently, and then and then that like the 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 marriage becomes like a, a well a very sort of medieval style kind of receptacle, you know what I mean right. for like mm-hmm. uh, for the for the like the the or a kind of socially sanctioned receptacle for the bad sexual nature that yeah. you can't control, of course, <laughs> as a yeah. as a man because you're you know ravenous and and <laughs> can't well, be tamed. And more than that, not just the sex thing, but also like all of the boring responsible aspects. You know, the mortgage right, right is yeah. part of the marriage and not part of your like unfettered um, yeah. kind of like almost pre Oedipal bro relationship. Sort of like yeah. you know, Pete can- like in Mad Men, Pete the Pete character is doing this right now. Anyone watching Mad Men? Yeah, yeah, sure. Sure. yeah right, you know what I mean? We're, 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 we're like, we're poor Pete Campbell has to decide between the chick from Community and the chick from Gilmore <laughs> Let's wring our hands about how hard it is to be Pete Campbell. Well, the, the I, I mean, the I, I don't want to I, I don't know. I don't want to spoil Mad Men, uh, Mad Men for anybody. But the the you know Pete has uh, there's there's intimations that there's maybe a dalliance uh, in Pete's. Um... Well, well, Pete Pete actually does a really good job of. Um, he's forced to, in the abstract, describe his own situation in the season finale. Right, 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 right exactly. Right, there's there's a set of circumstances where he needs to speak about himself in the abstract in the third person. And, and and this may be this may be something that he's already formulated and it's unclear, or this may be his point of revelation. But like, it, it's very much a, a disconnect in his mind between what society had taught him that marriage was going to be, and what he actually experiences in his marriage. Because really, when it comes down to it, like Pete Campbell's problem is that he's doing it wrong. 
Right. I mean, I think yeah. he's doing marriage wrong. Is his problem? He's like he does everything else wrong. I mean, again, I'm the one on the outside looking in here on a lot of you guys. But like, just as the sort of oh, I'm going to lose my freedom when I get married thing is kind of a falsehood. I think this idea that you don't have that personal friendship and connection with the person you're you're married to, like that's a falsehood too. You guys that's, are all that's very doing close. It wrong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but it is like it's something that you see more and more in um, in romantic comedies. Right. Like if you if you look back a couple of decades to sort of the the high heyday of Meg Ryan. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like they they took a lot of time and energy making those people seem like friends. And I would say, actually, a, a comedy recently that does this quite well is Bridesmaids. So, like the central yeah. romantic relationship there seems like they're going to get along great. And she has her sort of her sisterly bond with her best friend from forever back. But like the you don't feel that the romance is there as like this sort of escape valve slash responsibility object. Uh, they seem to actually get along, which is harder to write than to just have like Rashida Jones come in and be like winning and beautiful. And but then, not that fun. So, Pete, what we've learned is that the key to marriage is to marry Rashida Jones. Yeah, you gotta do that. <laughs> You'll have Quincy Jones as a father-in-law, which is awesome. Wow, really? Really? Yeah. So Quincy Jones is his father that. and um, her. Her uh, father. Uh, oh, whatever. Bombshell. <laughs> so you're not legally allowed to marry Rashida Jones in 48. But you should be able to. Sorry. Uh, this is what you get for living with a Turk uh, for as long as I have. Turks have no gender pronouns. Ha ha. And so my wife has a really hard time with with them in English. Okay. She's so, an incredible horse archer. She's she's amazing. Yes. Yeah. She's like every now and then I see her just glancing at a map of Austria along <laughs> I know I can take it through something. Just let it, just let it be. Right? Like you don't even like monumental architecture. Uh, so uh, you know, her father is Quincy Jones, and her mother um, briefly dated Elvis. She played the Norma character on Twin Peaks. Ah, um, yeah. She comes from a, a, a fabled lineage. So she's she has nobility. She is like House, oh yeah, yeah. House huh. Jones. Yeah, you have no yeah. chance of, of winning a, 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 a high maiden of, of that caliber. <laughs> You'll have to fake your way into knighthood. <laughs> I, I was thinking about what, Jordan, what uh, something Jordan said about like maybe maybe in fact with these like companionate marriages that you know we hope are the norm for all of us and sort of you know equality or equity in marriage. Like maybe that's a new kind of freedom. It's a freedom not to hit on people at bars. You know what I mean? Or it's kind of a freedom. It's a freedom to be comfortable in your own skin that actually is not, I think has more to do with identity than with with say, like sexual coupling uh, because it's 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 akin to the like not knowing who you are when you're a teenager when you're in your sort of early 20s in the or so it kind of throughout this like long 20s odyssey period that seems to that you know our economic situation seems to have forced upon uh, a lot of I don't know educated people I guess right that like uh, there's this there's this sort of long time where you're still kind of not not fully yourself yet and so like to be to be married somehow to have that peace um, settled in your own identity is a new kind of freedom because you can kind of relax a little bit and and get around to doing your life rather than kind of what being angsty about you about yourself and your identity and and kind of kind of what you want by sort of by taking certain aspects of choice off the table it opens up areas of choice which may in fact be more profound thank you big brother yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) 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 I say it was like well she bought it right so I'm good like she, yeah. she, she, like I like her, and she said yes. So I'm like, I can, like I'm over some of my insecurities because yeah. at least this one said okay. You still got to take care of you though, and you got to earn that, right? Like. I mean, maybe it's just the single me, like you know, you gotta oh, I gotta re-earn it, you know, all the time. But yeah. it's like, don't you still have to earn that? And, oh, you totally do. Yeah, like, yeah. You can every now and then, though, like if you're having a, a dark day, you can like look over at at your wife and be like, yeah, all right. <laughs> not, not by the way because my wife will listen to this crap I'm not saying that about her I'm saying that about the version of myself that was apparently acceptable to her <laughs> you know? but like if, if I'm having a crisis of faith about like uh, you know not having finished the cowboy bebop posts or something <laughs> like <laughs> the, the fact that I remain married uh, is, is reassuring she hasn't judged you for that yeah 
Though it is why she got together with you in the first place. <laughs> she really, she read the Cowboy Bebop series and was stuff. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh man. She read the first paragraph of one of them and said, you write stuff that is too long. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what my wife says about the things I write. <laughs> like everything, uh, you know, uh, uh, overthinking posts, scientific papers, lawn, like shopping lists. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just write cheese. We <laughs> 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 <I> need cheese. <laughs> Hey guys, so while we're talking about um, you know marriage and advancing our lives and seeking validation and those sorts of things, I, I want to tie this into, um, we mentioned Brave recently, I want to tie this into one of the other movies that's coming out this weekend, um, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, no, not that actually, the other one, uh, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, mm-hmm. which you've probably seen the trailer for that, and uh, basically, you know, the, the, everyone knows the world is going to end in a, in a short period of time. And, you know, they ask the question, you know, what are you going to do with your last remaining days? How are you going to try to seek fulfillment? And so Steve Carell presumably, you know, meets a man at Pixie Dream Girl and Natalie Portman. And Knightley. Oh, you know, all those skinny brown haired yeah. girls so look alike. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she was a, a lookalike for Natalie Portman, right, in episode yeah. one or two. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so, I mean, like, how do we interpret that movie and uh, what uh, the Steve Carell character is looking for at the end of the world uh, in light of our discussion? Having not seen the film, I can definitively tell you <laughs> that the interpretation of it has to... Um, yeah, no, Zach Braff, uh, if you... Oh, no, sorry, Steve Carell. Why? Wow. <laughs> yeah. um, so Zach Braff and Natalie Portman are in this movie, right? Yes, yes. Okay. It's called Seeking a, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, and it takes place in New Jersey. Right, yes, on, the, yes. right on the shore, which wow. is, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. from a certain point of view. And the it's, end of the it's world. just uh, where the sidewalk ends. It's right. from where the sidewalk ends. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one, one interesting... I mean, did you want to... Articulate no, 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 okay. I didn't. I, so <laughs> it was just a throwaway joke. So the so the so the deep impact to the Armageddon of seeking a friend for the end of the world is probably the Kirsten Dunst art film Melancholia, <laughs> right? Which is about like the woman who's getting married on the day that like the Earth is going to be destroyed by like a collision with another is planet. That what it's about? Yeah, wow. yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was about her with superpowers to shoot lightning out of her fingers. No, no, you're thinking of Spider Man. <laughs> That's different. That's you, no, oh, does that not bring it on? A, a different, a different. Lars von Trier project. <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man. But I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting that the two movies both pose this framing device of, you know, the Earth is going to get hit by extraterrestrial debris and everyone is going to die. And it's like, well, what are you going to do? And yeah. come to, at least as far as we can surmise from the stock plots that they probably have, and I have read Wikipedia summaries, so <laughs> there's that, um, is that like in one case there's like sort of solitude and alienation and she's like very depressed, right? She has like a mental condition and Melancholia, where like she's sort of incapable of processing the emotion. It's like told from her perspective and her sister's perspective. There's detachment, right? And so there's there's it's very very European, right? This like you know okay, uh, I lose my connection with everything in kind of a peaceful way as the world is ending, blah blah blah. Whereas in this in the version with Steve Carell, it's like okay, I gotta find me a lady in her twenties, right? And like, uh, <laughs> although the, the title at least implies that it's not about like I'm gonna find the hottest girl who will voluntarily have sex with me, right? 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 It's like he needs uh, there's some yeah. emotional for. Fulfillment he's looking for in his last hours. Right. Yeah. So so finding seeking, a friend with benefits at the end of the world. Yeah. 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 Seeking an FB for yeah. the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that, that sort of depresses me about that movie and makes me not want to see it is that it's pretty heavily telegraphed that they're going to have a romantic attachment. And that strikes me as actually not like a realistic way to react to the world ending. Yeah. Like, I, I think that if they actually became friends, that would be a much more interesting movie. Yeah. I don't know. If Steve Carell's going to go, he doesn't want to die a 40-year-old virgin. Yeah. <laughs> Which actually was on He's got to get smart about this. Uh, <laughs> 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 I see where this is going. <laughs> uh, this is just uh, a daily show of bad puns. <laughs> uh, Look, do I have to be the anchor man here? <laughs> no, I, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it, it would be better if he and Karen Knightley were more friends and it was less of a date night. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's it's a it's a pity that like you have to see him in these circumstances and wouldn't know what I'm like to serve Dan in real life. Yeah, yeah. Although I do have to say that I'm sure the script is word perfect. Right. Wait, wow. that's, wait, no, that's the wrong corral. Sorry. <laughs> Two thousand one space Odyssey. <laughs> Snow dogs. I'm curious. I have. I've, this is the first I've heard of Melancholia. Yeah. But does isn't getting married on the day that world ends like incredibly selfish what do you mean everyone you know like the priest like would (laughs) rather be with his family like the florist is not going to come out (laughs) 
the, like, the priest presumably has a flock that he needs to like yeah, tend, whose spiritual needs he's responsible for, yeah, right? Yeah. So you're saying this is like Bridezilla versus Mothra, where we like take it to scale. The other thing about that is like it's like so do I have to buy you the toaster or not? <laughs> Are you totally gonna use it? Yeah, you definitely buy the toaster. I think. <laughs> Why not? You loot the toaster is what you do. You smash the electrons. So, so going back to uh, seeking a friend for the end of the world, um, the, the premise of this movie is right, the world is ending and it is somehow releasing inhibitions of people and they're sort of more free to go about and do things in their lives that they wouldn't do otherwise. And so hence, you know, uh, the, what the romantic relationship with uh, not Natalie Portman and, and Steve Carell, right? Um, and, and, Natalie and so, Portman? Natalie Portman. Oh, that's genius. <laughs> so we're assuming that they get together. Um, now, what we don't know about this and what I will momentarily reveal as a spoiler uh, in in this podcast is um, is somehow that is the disaster at the end of the movie averted, and they suddenly find themselves in a non-apocalyptic scenario where they now have to face the consequences. Awkward. Of the rest of the world. <laughs> She's like, dude, you're 45. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I actually I'm married, uh, yeah. three children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this this actually reminds me of is uh, the like the last day of school movies, huh. uh, but oh, on steroids, right? right or the last well, day of summer. Camp. Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. like can't hardly wait. It's like can't yeah. hardly wait. Or, or dazed and confused. Like American this is my life. last chance to, to, to say what I've always like, wanted to say. House, yeah, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. Like, like like the world that we have established for ourselves is going to end. In this case, quite literally, the world is going to end. This is this could be the greatest apocalypse of our lives, but you're gonna make it the worst. <laughs> Shame on you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so can, can we uh, feel guesses here and see what people think if the movie ends with the apocalypse or apocalypse averted? Jordan, gotta say averted. Wish it was end, but I gotta say averted. Schechner? Uh averted, uh, which makes all the people who committed suicide feel stupid. <laughs> Kira Knightley flies to the asteroid and drills into it. Blows it up, saving everyone. Yeah. I'm going to say that not only does the world end, but the last five minutes of the movie cost $60 million and you see every city destroyed by like a wave of fire. It becomes like a really big budget Michael Bay type thing. Yeah. Uh, at the very last minute, Johnny Depp shows up in a ghost pirate ship and they all sail off into the stars. <laughs> Never rather. A meteor comes, but it's a very small meteor. It takes out Kira Knightley, but you realize that she was actually a double for Natalie Portman. <laughs> and out of the wings in the last moments wow. of the film, Natalie Portman comes, curtain. I'm going to change my answer to, like, as the asteroid is about to hit the Earth, you see a shot of Steve Carell's face, and then just, just a tight shot of his eyes, and then it just pulls back slowly, and he's just, like, comatose in a hospital bed. The entire thing. Horrible fever dream. Okay. So when we started answering this question, it seemed like we were veering towards uh, the, the apocalypse would be averted, and somehow you know they would have to uh, would face the consequences uh, in you know in, in a non-apocalyptic world, and then you know the answers soon just veered off the rails into silly land, which is totally fine. Um, so spoiler alert for seeking a friend at the end of the world: the apocalypse is not averted. Oh, yes! it's not averted. The world is. Apocalypse. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, Matt, um, the screen fades to white uh, as asteroid hits, so we don't oh, get to see the amazing on. special effects of uh, montage at the end. The fade to white at the end of a movie, you know, bold move a lot of the time, right? Yeah. Synecdoche, New York. White, uh, Black Swan. Yeah, Black Swan. Oh, yeah. Um, they do that at, uh, is that how Butch Cassidy does it, or is it fade to black? Oh, I forget. Is there like every episode of Six Feet Under? Yeah, three frames on them yeah. walking, uh, running out of the hut with the sound of like yeah, a hail of gunshots. Into the, yeah. yeah, I assume they survive though. Because <laughs> they're going to, to well, no, because they're uh, very South good America, at shooting. You know, Robert Redford is very good at shooting stuff, right? So, like, who's to say that they can't get out of that? <laughs> Another bromance. Yes. <laughs> That's true. If only, yeah, if only a woman could tame the wild heart of Robert Redford. Uh, if she was slightly better at riding a bicycle, I think he would have decided to stay with her. Raindrops are falling on his head. That's all. <laughs> I want to back up one to a little bit more about sort of the, the nature of the the lack of responsibility of bachelorhood. I was just suddenly struck by how perfect it is that in I Love You Man, what they do together is like they listen to Rush. Yes. Right? That like in terms of the least serious thing you can do the most juvenile thing you can do is have a very mature and deeply serious love of the music of Rush. Yeah. <laughs> Rush, yes. Rush is like 
like the the music equivalent. It's the prog rock equivalent of the animated Hobbit movie. Yes, right? it, it guarantees you will not get laid. You know, and let, let me pose a further theory. The critical thing about Rush is that they are a power trio, right? One of the few mainstream rock bands with only three members. And I feel like at the end of I Love You, Man, what we see is the formation of a new power trio uh, with the man and his best friend and the woman that he loves, and together they're going to make beautiful music together. What's wow. interesting about that is that and they children play. They play guitar and bass, so she's got to be the drummer. Yes. Rush, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Quincy Jones is her father. Does that make her the Zed? And yeah, it's like the, YY, the YYZ. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rush. But, but he's right. found a new Tom Sawyer. <laughs> uh, back up here. Well, what is the implication of uh, associating Rush with you know with bachelorhood, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that what it is it is somehow what juvenile and not sophisticated? Because that's clearly not the case. Rush is very complicated music. If I had to associate a, a type of rock music with bachelorhood, what I don't know, Andrew WK might be a better choice. Huh. Well, but I think that like Andrew WK is for being juvenile. It's for being a confirmed bachelor. Which is kind of sophisticated, but also kind of like not serious. Rush is your is your main thing. Rush is the snifter of brandy and cigars on the porch. You know, yeah. mm. <laughs> Rush is the is the subscription to Playboy or something. It's like something that, that you like. enjoy. Weird Al Yankovic is like the Kool Aid in the backyard. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's something that you enjoy separate, but not alone. Right, it's that like separateness is part of being a Rush fan. I think, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's an expectation that the women that you date aren't going to be as into Rush, which is probably not a fair expectation because I'm sure that Rush wouldn't be able to have stayed in business as a commercial venture without some women liking them. I mean, that's half the population. They buy a lot of records. <laughs> but, you know, mixed martial arts has stayed in business. <laughs> there are women who like that. I don't yeah, know. yeah. But like, but, the, but Rush is so like. Sorry to work blue. I guess what I said, but Rush is so wanky. You know, like, it's, it's, I, I cannot take Rush seriously. Seriously, as music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, that's wow. That's a We're gonna get like two angry phone calls yeah. from two that's members of Rush. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Getting Lee will fly over in his blimp and be like, "I can't believe you guys are <laughs> Does he have a blimp? I assume he does. I assume he's like a, he's a big dirigible enthusiast. You know, I love you. So I love you, man. Right, like is pertinent in light of Ted coming out next week, oh, yeah. Yeah. where the bro oh, relationship yeah, yeah. is transposed onto Mark Wahlberg and his talking teddy bear, voiced by Seth MacFarlane. Right. Uh, <laughs> Can we assume that basically was Seth MacFarlane went to the studio heads and said, "Like, I want to make a young Peter and Brian Adventures movie of the Family Guy," and they're like, "No, you can't do that." And he's like, "All right, I'll use the same." <laughs> voice and the same relationship and we'll just make it a bear <laughs> but Mila Kunis will still be in it yeah yeah, yeah. right <laughs> um, yeah uh, well we well, I guess we can't see it till till next weekend so yeah. we'll see I guess how it plays out but it's like it makes the it makes the bro uh, much more a, even yeah. more a symbol of arrested development yeah. right it moves it from transposes it from sort of rush to uh, Weird Al Yankovic yeah, I, I might, oh go ahead it's part of the larger sort of well, we've talked about this in the podcast before but the idea that like men are children mm-hmm. is very it was almost yeah. any comedy movie sort of almost starts with that premise there mm-hmm. are very few in which, which that's not the case I mean modern comedy movies modern right, comedy right? Movies. whereas if you look in like the sort of golden age of cinema the sort of comedies of remarriage comedies it's often like women are children is right mm-hmm. right Bring yeah baby but, yeah, yeah. Like, so someone has to be the child, and you know it's our yeah. turn, and that's yeah. fine. That's cool. We'll take it. But um, the it's it's marriage has become it's it's like the moment where you grow up. Yeah, in movies, yeah. right? Like, and it's sort of um, <laughs> in movies. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's sort of the expectation that we're led to have. And I remember, like, you know, when we were like twenty three, twenty four, and our first friends were getting married, we were just kind of looking at them like, bye. You know, yeah, like, yeah, we'll, see you, we'll yeah. see you in ten years yeah. when, you know, yeah. when when we join you in that yeah. state. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's been a very pleasant uh, thing to realize that that's not universally the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of a couple of cases it has been, but um, you know, but that might happen. Anyway. I don't think we're losing Matt like next week. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're gaining a free dinner. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way I look at it. I'm not losing a son. I'm gaining 20 pounds. <laughs> and a horror. You know, one, one example of this from like the classic age of Hollywood is because this is the kind of crazy weekend we've been having. We were talking about guys and dolls last night. Oh, oh man. Yes. Things were going crazy <laughs> up in this business. We had three horses right here. <laughs> <laughs> Marriage counselor. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
So anyway, continue. What is it about guys and dolls that you want to talk about? So this is like, I mean, it shows that that it's not just an Apatow thing. The idea is that like men are children and like women have to force them at gunpoint to grow up. It's a whole thing about how men are in like, you know. it's just for waiting around for that little band of gold. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. And then, I mean, the, the conclusion at the end of although our discussion sort of hinged upon how, like, the very, like, last minute resolution of the plot of Guys and Dolls is a little bit uh, nebulous and, and unconvincing, but it's sort of like, you just need to, like, marry this dude in, force him to abandon his friends. That, that like, what you need to do is, like, you know, get him to quit the crap game, quit gambling, and join your Salvation Army band. And, like, you know, that's, and it's an antagonistic relationship, right? Mm-hmm. That a, a guy will do things for a doll that he would not do for any other reason. Yeah. Uh, when you, uh, for instance, like, uh, see a guy reach for stars in the sky, you yes. can pretty much bet that he's doing that for a doll. <laughs> right. Or because he's a scientist. Yeah, that's true. When you that's spot true. a John waiting out in the rain, chances are he's insane as only a John can be for a for, Jane. For Jane, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, gents paying all kinds of rent. Yeah, it has or, to do with the housing market mostly. That's because <laughs> they're in New York. Yes. <laughs> oh man. So so how about this? Um, there seems to be a lot of forced conflict in a lot of these stories. Yeah. Like you can't have it all. You have to choose between your friends and your wife. When I mean, my experience with you guys is that doesn't generally happen any more often with marriage than it does with any other life transition. Right. Like uh, more any more than you have to choose between your friends and your volleyball team. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But is it like an appealing fiction? Yeah. Is there something that like you Josh, know, stop playing volleyball? Like Hollywood stop wants it. to tell that story, or people people want to buy that story. The idea that like marriage is sort of an antagonistic thing, and like the girl has to sort of like twist the guy's arm to get him to commit. Actually, you know what? Um, we, we do have an astronomic divorce rate in in the U.S. Like I feel like. Um, not to pat ourselves on the back too much, but like that, that, that we as a group. But good job, U.S. Yeah, we. No, no. <laughs> go. You know, as as a as a fledgling cake maker, I want to say thanks for all the extra cake. Now, um, uh, you know, like our group of friends might be might be doing it right, whereas like many people might be doing it quite wrong. And, and then they made the premise of the website, isn't this? Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I didn't really have a point. I just want to say that I am so smart. <laughs> well, I mean, first, so very smart. <laughs> I'm not convinced that the high divorce rate is a bad thing. Because, uh, I mean... I feel like the high divorce rate is actually a good thing because it's indicative of a lot of bad choices to get married. Like, 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 and that's well, good? There are a lot of marriages that shouldn't have happened because right, people right. aren't fit for one another. Mm-hmm. And the divorce rate is good because what's happening is these people are just no longer being married to one another as opposed to being forced into a relationship yeah. that's solely going to like destroy their soul yeah. over the course of the Yeah, the really unfortunate divorces are the, are the ones that are like for external reasons, like horrible things have happened, like there's mm-hmm. no money, you yeah. know, or like, you, you know, like there's a, a alcoholism involved or some sort of horrible... But those things would be bad even if they stayed together. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, uh, and so I don't, I don't cheer the high divorce rate, but um, I wonder whether it's not uh, part and parcel of this transformation we're talking about into more of a cooperative idea of your marriage with the rest of your well, that, That's kind of what I'm saying, is that I feel like a lot of, pe- a lot of the, the people that are uh, contributing to this high divorce rate um, may have gotten into marriages for the wrong reasons and found themselves uh, in a very real situation where their wife, their, 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 their spouse just does not jibe with the personality that they would feel most comfortable with themselves and the one that they share with their, their close group of, of friends. Mm-hmm, uh, right. You know, like, like we may we may just be very lucky to not have to have encountered this problem as often as as many of our colleagues do. Well, and this is where the sort of the new Apatovian model of the romantic comedy is potentially um, potentially socially harmful. Although we can have a whole other discussion about whether movies ever really are socially harmful, yeah. but like the, the notion that your wife is someone who you never have fun with, and that being like sort of fine and normal. Um, is something that, if, if people were to internalize that from their entertainments, would be a bad thing for them to, enter, to internalize, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. And certainly, we certainly we don't want it to make things worse. But of course, it's hard to demonstrate that it's actually causing people to do that. Yeah. Um, because yeah, you know. I mean, like, if anything, it's more likely that it's sort of a um, that it's an epiphenomenon of a of a broader social trend, and we can use it to diagnose the way people think about romantic relationships, right. rather than it being the cause of it. Right. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The Apatovian epiphenomenon. Please welcome to the main stage, Apatovian Epiphenomena. We're going to play some progressive. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's, that's, there's, a, there's about a 15% chance that that's already the title of a Rush song. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I'm not, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not willing to, like, necessarily say that, like, the high divorce rate, the, the upside of the high divorce rate is that people are getting out of bad marriages because so often there are, there are kids involved, right? And, like, as, as a child of a divorce, it's, it, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty awful, though it is... In my case, anyway, better than the alternative would have been. Yeah, same with I think that, I that's almost universally true, right? Yeah, like, like the the myth that better to keep the marriage together for the sake of the children really just means you're going to pass all of your angst uh, onto your children, right? Right. I mean, so which you should do, but you should do it intentionally. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> harden them like steel. <laughs> Temper them. Well, Temper them. Like either way, steel. I've heard it both ways. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the the guys who brought down the walls of Constantinople didn't do it by being nice. No, no they, they did it children. with oiled logs. Yeah, exactly. By moving ships over the Golden Horn yeah. in the middle of the night. <laughs> but I don't want to do it, Dad. Like, Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or else, so stun them, so. Or else King Gobieski's going to come out here and you're going to be really, really sorry that you knocked down those walls. I want to say, probably like the <laughs> most popular TV show in Turkey right now is this show called uh, Muhteşem Yüzyıl, which translates to uh, like the golden century. And it's just a trashy soap opera about uh, Suleiman the Magnificent. <laughs> like, it is exactly... So it's like, it's the Tudors, but yeah, uh, yeah. about it's Suleiman the Magnificent. Like, if you talk to, like, a kid... Like, if you talk to, like, a current East Coast Ivy League college student who knows nothing about Turkey except a couple of historical facts, you're like, hey... What show do you think Turks are watching right now? He's like, I don't know, soap opera about Suleiman the Magnificent. <laughs> and he's right. He's <laughs> I was really hoping that was going to mean who's the boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be a huge game. It's a tail, man. Well, uh, excellent. Uh, if you want to join the conversation about bachelor parties, about... Uh... Suleiman the Magnificent. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to marry an overthinker. Yes. <laughs> there, there, yeah, right. There are supplies <laughs> last. Few of us are still unhitched. Uh, right, yeah. Email arranged marriages. <laughs> Send $200 via... <laughs> or four notes. <laughs> Children under 18, ask your parents before you die. <laughs> with... with uh, Yenta at overthinking it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we got my mom that email again. <laughs> uh, if you want to join the conversation on anything that that we've said, or you know, I don't know, send us hate mail or something, or not, um, you can email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com. You can call or text two zero three two eight five six four zero one. That's call or text with your SMS phone two zero three two eight five six four zero one. And we hope always you will come onto the comments for the show notes for this episode and join the lively conversation uh, until the next bachelor party when this group, uh, this subset of overthinkers is uh, assembled together again. You can find us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com the site where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't He's been going nice for, like this for like 15 <laughs>